I want to, first of all, again, just kind of hit up on the rest, rest stop. We're so excited that rest stop happened again. That's a ministry of our church that's been happening for years, and it's meant to be, it's, it's, it's meant to be a rest stop for families who have kids with special needs. And so mom and dad get a, a, a date night, a, a night to head out, and all the kids come here and play. And it's fantastic. If you've never seen it, if you've never volunteered, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it will bless you and fill your heart for the weeks to come. And um, I just, I, I get a kick out of Olivia, and I've seen how excited she is. So to, to think about the smartphone and the Santa thing, that was, that was really awesome. Uh, also, this weekend's a full weekend. Last night, uh, we saw some of you downtown. We, we had a booth at the candle lighting, and we got a few pictures there. It was raining like cats and dogs at 4 p.m. when we set up, and actually, while well, these guys, there was lots of different school groups and uh, people who came in to do music downtown. Go to the next one. Here's the part of the Krasowski family that helped man the booth, first of all, and, and we were doing crafts, so uh, people would come, and the things in the middle there, there are these little uh, snowflake that they could cut their wooden snowflakes they could make ornaments out of. And uh, there was a lot of people down there. I thought for sure the, 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 the rain stopped and it kind of dried up and we had a really great turnout all evening long. So like I said, good to see some of you down there. Uh, this last week, this is a full week for me. Last Sunday, like at 12.30, I caught a flight to Marin County, California, and I had a, a retreat there that I, this is something that, you know, pastors we do from time to time, and I was able to join some other pastors from the California area, uh, and it felt really good to just have a little pocket of time to fix my eyes on Jesus, and I, I know that everybody thinks that, oh, pastors, we really do that. I'll, no, we get, our schedules are full, we get preoccupied, we're, and so unless you, like, make this intentional effort to get away, it, like, never happens, and so uh, the first part of this last week, I was able to do it, and it was so, so good for my own soul, uh, very life-giving. And I hope during the week you've been able to read along with our Advent readings. In our family, this is always kind of hit or miss. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really a, a terrible pastor, you know, because uh, guys, uh, all these things that you're supposed to do, and you're like, oh, yeah, we forgot again. And so this year we've decided we've got a time, we're like at 7.20 every day. We're going to sit down and do this as a family. And, you know, we hit like two out of seven. So we're doing pretty good. Um, but you've probably noticed, if you've been tracking along, that these aren't your typical Christmas, like, oh, there's, you know, angels and shepherds. That's coming, okay? But you got like three weeks before, before we get there. This is Advent. And so it's this whole buildup through the Old Testament. A lot of these scriptures are from the Old Testament as we read through them. And it only takes about five minutes. There's a passage of scripture. There's a prayer. And uh, my favorite thing, I lost my place here, was this. Uh, it was just talking about Advent. And, the, and, and my favorite line from this week was, Advent is the hush in the theater between the house lights going down and the curtain going up. I like that one. So thanks to Dell for all the hard work that he put in and, and others to make those boxes for us. Uh, it's really a huge blessing. So as Christians, we celebrate two Advents. Uh, the first Advent was when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and we're living in between Advents because as followers of Christ, we're still looking forward to the second Advent of Jesus when he promises to come back 
and set the world straight, to fix everything that's wrong, to reign in all of His glory. And so we're, we're living in this land in between the two Advents, and we can't ever forget that. And this morning, I want to reread for you, actually, I'm going to skip ahead past all of those uh, names that Ashley just so expertly, because I can't do those. Uh, I want to reread this passage for you, and we're going to unpack some of the, some of the kind of things for me that jumped out, really what I, what I want to kind of shape and form as movements towards Christ or movement towards faith in Christ. And so we're going to uh, start again. You can, you can stand up for the reading of God's Word here, and we'll, we'll, we'll pass for, I'm not going to escape this, am I? Okay, here we go. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, you're doing great. And Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother, Tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis. And Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, was the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, take a deep breath. Pat yourself on the back. You did it. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That's from Luke chapter 3, 1 through 6. Please have a seat. So the purpose of that wasn't to embarrass anyone in mispronouncing names. The purpose in Luke's mind is he's asserting this really happened. He's planting Jesus, or he's planting Jesus, he's planting John, first of all, in the midst of this historical context. And throughout the years, you know, we have a very, in the, you know, for those of us who live in the 21st century, 20th century, um, we have this scientific approach to life. And so when we come to the Gospels, we read this through our own lens. And, and it's been very, uh, th- throughout the history of the church, people will go back and they want to try and pinpoint the exact year that John or that Luke is talking about here, the writer, and they can't do it. And so that's led some people to believe, well, then this just didn't happen. You know, Luke made this up. Well, the reason they can't do it is because in ancient terms, Luke doesn't tell us a lot of things. We actually don't know when he says in the 15th year when to start counting. Because as it turns out, Tiberius was co-Caesar with another guy named Augustus. And then Augustus died. And it's like, well, so when did he, is it, did, did he start the clock then? Or was it after he died? Uh, same thing happens with calendars. Luke, living at this time, he would have had four different calendars that he was managing. He had the Roman calendar, which is known as the Julian calendar. Uh, he would have had the Jewish calendar. There was a kind of a Greek, Macedonian, uh, Syrian calendar, and then there was an Egyptian calendar. Okay, so he, just like with languages, he had to be multilingual, he had to multiply. All of them have a different New Year's Day. 
You know, like between us and the like Chinese New Year, there's always dis- there's different times. So all that to say, scholars kind of don't know when exactly this happened, except to say that it happened. This is what Luke is trying to to do for us. Jesus was a real historical live person. That's not the debate. The debate is. Was Jesus who he said he was? Was he also the Son of God? And that's what each and every single one of us must decide. That's why we have four Gospels, accounts of Jesus' life that have been painstakingly passed down through uh, generation after generation. And so today, I want to look at this passage and share three movements in this towards faith in Christ. And the first one is just three little words, in the wilderness. Now, God obviously heard me today. Uh, I I didn't even ask for it, but uh, like a sunshiny day that we can see beautiful Mount Si clothed in in snow. It was like just uh, five minutes before the the service started that I actually looked out the window and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. Um, But a couple years ago, Corey and I were hiking up at Snoqualmie Pass. And we were headed towards Snow Lake, fitting for this morning. And uh, it's an incredible hike. If you've never done it, you, you kind of park by Alpental and you, you head up um, into the woods there. And those are old growth woods, like never been cut down. Uh, silver firs, I mean, it's like subalpine forest. We were hiking in the fall, and so it was, it was yellow and gold and red, and the rocks were, I mean, it was just a glorious day. And near the top of the trail, where you kind of get the first little glimpse of Snow Lake, um, we ran into a very friendly Forest Service volunteer. And as we were chatting there, just, you know, on the trails, catching our breath, um, she asked to see our wilderness permit. And I said, oh, you mean the parking pass? I left that down in my car in the parking lot. And she's like, no, your wilderness permit. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, And evidently, you know, I know now that there's this huge sign that you walk past out of the parking lot that you literally can't miss, except I miss it. You know, and in wilderness, you need this little tag so that if you don't show up at your car, the rangers know that, you know, you're back in the woods somewhere on purpose. So she was very friendly. She had one that we filled out there, and I said, thank you, but seriously, I couldn't figure out how I missed the sign. Whenever we're talking about things in the spiritual world, it's the same way. It's really easy for us as human beings to miss it. And part of that has to do with our, our, our schedule, how distracted we are, how hurried we feel in our life, the, the concerns of the world. Um, man, depending on, I used to say depending on the age of your kid, but it's, it's just not true. If you have kids, it's just a tired season of life, okay, for that 20 years or so, right? You just, or whatever, like we're tired, and unless you make an intentional pocket, and just like I was talking about this last week, um, it's really hard to pay attention to the spiritual world. And for some of us, we just simply haven't learned how to do that. The wilderness in the Bible is a, a very special place, The wilderness is often the place where God reveals himself to people. 
we think of the wilderness as this God-forsaken land, you know, that's out in the hinter, hinter, wherever it is. It's not that way in the Bible. The wilderness is this very special place, whether it's Moses, uh, whether it's Elijah, whether it's John, whether it's soon to be Jesus. The wilderness is a place where God reveals himself most powerfully. I love the wilderness. I love the outdoors. The way that God made me, this is how I connect with him. I feel closer than anywhere else in my life when I'm outside in God's creative glory and his goodness. And a lot of you nod your heads because you moved here too. And I, in the Pacific Northwest, like we're a dime a dozen. Other parts of the country, like where I grew up, you have to work a lot harder to see the beauty in God's creation. But it's still there. And all of us connect with God in our own unique ways, but there's something very special about being outdoors, about um, connecting with God in that way, and I'm not alone. So even here in Luke chapter 3, he writes that the wilderness was an important place for John the Baptist. And he says, this is verse 2 and 3, during the high priesthood of Annas, I mispronounced priesthood of all the things, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So the word of God came to John in the wilderness. You know, John the Baptist was like a carnival attraction for his day. He would have been like a hippie who just lived out in the woods foraging for all of his meals and never taking a shower or bath ever. Right? That's, that's John the Baptist. Um, he was a bit removed from society, which kind of increased his mystique, but he stood in a very long line of Old Testament prophets that God had sent to his people. But guess how long it had been since a legit prophet had been seen in Israel? It had been 400 years. Think about 400 years ago. I mean, in North America, we didn't even have that kind of history. But in Europe or other parts of the world, that's a long, that's a long time ago. We were still riding horses and fighting wars over baptism, I think. It was a long, long, long time ago. So for 400 years, the word of God, at least the prophetic word of God, hadn't been spoken in Israel. And so this anticipation had built that before the Messiah came, there would again be a prophet, a prophet in the line of Elijah, a prophet like John. And so here comes John calling people to repent. And that word repent means have a change of mind. It literally means to turn around, but in the sense of have a change of mind. Turn around. It means you're headed the wrong way. Some of John's hearers believe that, heard that, but not all of them. You see, John was like one of those signs in the wilderness that you, you can't help but miss, but you still do. And he was calling for repentance. He was pointing forward to what God was about to do in Jesus, yes, but he was also pointing backwards 
in that sometimes we're headed in the wrong direction and we need to walk it back towards God. We're headed away from God. This is so helpful for us to think about. You know, usually when, when we repent, it, it's because of a sin that we're made aware of in our life. And by sin, I mean like we've missed the mark either by something we've done or something that we haven't done. It's wronged God or it's wronged someone else. And so when we're aware of that, we, we confess it. We say we're sorry. We ask forgiveness. And we start walking in a new direction. That's what it means to repent. But sometimes repentance looks a little different. This last week, I was talking with somebody, and they were telling me uh, about how they reached a point in their life where they had, you know, it was more like a career correction. And the phrase that the person used was, I worked really, 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 really hard to climb the ladder, and I got to the top and realized I was on the wrong wall. I've never heard anyone, I'm, I'm sure that that's out there somewhere in, in the Twitterverse or something, but I'd never heard it like that. It worked really, really hard to climb the ladder. I got to the top and realized I was on the wrong wall. And what he described was almost like a kind of repentance, where he's like, yeah, climb down the ladder, get to the bottom and say, okay, God, where, which, which direction do I go? Very humbling, but very life-giving too. Because that's the journey God's Spirit wants to lead us on. It's one of repentance. And when God gets our attention, we may need to turn around and walk in a new way. It's often in the wilderness that intentionally quiet places in our lives that we create, that we retreat to, that we hear a word from God. And how cool would it be to be the sort of church, the sort of people, where we're often encouraged to regularly do that. So another movement in this text that's related to faith in Christ has to do with fruits and roots. Fruits and roots. So if we were to read on in verse 7 through 11, we encounter this. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't know about you, but whenever I read those kind of passages, you get a little nervous, right? Wow. Wow. John's serious about this. Um, this summer, we were on vacation, and we turned off the freeway to get some lunch. And of course, like, you know, at the intersection there is a person with one of those sandwich board signs that, you know, is all about God's wrath and coming fury. You know, basically, it's saying turn or burn. And that particular day, it was 110 degrees, and I decided, you know, he might be right. We should just turn around and go home because it's going to be a whole lot more comfortable back there. Um, but scaring people into heaven isn't a real effective way of sharing the good news in Jesus. But it kind of sounds like John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? But rather than fixate on God's wrath here, 
John wants us to see a different connection. It's between roots and fruits. Roots and fruits. If you're not grounded in faith, you won't produce the fruits of faith. And the people in John's day, they assumed that because they were Jewish, they were Abraham's descendants, that they were God's people. And over the years as a pastor, I've met countless people who've just assumed that they're Christians because they were born in the United States. Or they assume that they're Christians, they're part of God's people because their parents were faithful and devout. Or they were baptized. But guess what? Faith isn't inherited. You have to choose it yourself. Each and every single person, each and every single generation has to choose it. And just knowing all the right stuff, the right information, just having a cultural connection doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you've encountered Jesus. You've decided to actively follow him. And in the church world today, we, we, have, a, we have language that we use. We say you have to have a relationship with God. You have to have a personal relationship with God. And Jesus has allowed us to do that. Um, <clears throat> having a relationship with God through Jesus, you know, it does involve repentance. But the word that I more and more like to say is you have to encounter Christ. We believe in a resurrected Jesus, that he's still alive today, that we can know him. And so we want to encounter him. And when you do, when you do in your life, you make him the leader. You, you surrender and you say, yep, <clears throat> all, the, all the, the direction that I was headed in my own life, pursuing my own things, not the right direction. I want to head in your direction, Jesus. Help me to do that. And some churches are really good at this repentance piece, the moment of having faith, but we all struggle in helping people to learn how to surrender, how to follow Jesus. You know, I'd love for us to be a church that helps us to sink our roots into Christ, to tap into the one who provides what Jesus says is living water. How do we get that living water into our own soul? Because when we do, our life is going to change. It's going to transform. We're going to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, as John says. Fruit that I'll notice, that others will notice. Dallas Willard, he's a Christian writer, and he once said, the most important thing in your life <clears throat> is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you'll take into eternity. And God wants to create the best version of you, the one that he created in the beginning, but through sin and our own confusion and lostness, um, that image has been tarnished or broken in so many ways. But Jesus can put us back together again, set us on the path towards freedom and forgiveness and healing and joy. You know, the goal of following Jesus isn't to memorize a bunch of Bible verses. It isn't to get perfect attendance on Sunday morning. Um, it isn't to stuff our heads with Christian information or live inside a Christian bubble. Sometimes I feel like as I listen to different 
Christian, especially the podcasts and preachers, you know, I feel like the goal, uh, what God really wants for us is to be rich and wealthy, you know, like hashtag blessed. No, the goal of Christianity is to become like Jesus. And as impossible as that may sound, God has given us his spirit to do just that. When we learn to to grow roots, to tap into that power that God has provided for us, there is a blossoming, a transformation in our life that happens. It's the fruits of repentance. Um, That's what God wants to do in us. So as you think about these movements, in the wilderness, fruits and roots, there's there's a third movement as it relates to faith in Christ. And that has to do with making way. John the Baptist was making way. He was preparing for the king's arrival. When he said, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain shall be made low. Um, This is kind of, it's imagery in John's time that they would have understood. Whenever a a visiting king, a very important person, was coming to visit their area or or their country, they would have figured out which road that king was going to use, and they would have made improvements on it. You know, they'd fill in the ditches, they would make the road wider, they would, you know, if there was uh, high spots that they needed, they, they would fix the road, they would prepare the way, they would make it smooth. They wanted to remove every obstacle, every thing in that king's path, to welcome him fully. This is what we're doing in Advent. This is what we're doing in our lives. But especially, especially in Advent, this time of year, when we think about what's Advent, you know, it's uh, lights come down before the curtain goes up. It's this idea of I'm making way for the king. What obstacle needs to get leveled in my life? What's in the way? What We need to bring in the Holy Spirit bulldozer and just knock it down. That's such a great question just to, to think about. When you, find, when you find your little quiet wilderness spot this week, like, Lord, how, how can I make way for you? Because what I want to do is welcome you in my life. But there's all this stuff that gets in the way. I mean, for me, it's frustration with my schedule. Oh, it's just so busy. And it's, it's not time management. It's just that there's no more margin. And so I tell myself, because there's no more margin, I don't have time to actually sit with the Lord and be in his presence, to, to, to let that water come up into my soul and make a difference. But these are just excuses. Many, many people throughout the history of church have been busy, but yet they haven't been hurried They've been able to slow down, even if it's just for a moment in their day, and sit in God's presence. How can we do that in our life? Maybe it's something else that's gotten in the way between you and a relationship with Christ. Ask God to help you move it. Or ask him to help you to want to move it. Because he hears those prayers and he answers them. Please join me in prayer. Lord, this day as we, um, 
as we've made time to participate, to be a member of this congregation, uh, to worship you, Lord, to be with your people. Help us to take that, that movement, that step of faith into other areas of our life, our, all of our life, Lord. Help us, Lord, to find time in the wilderness, whatever that may represent or wherever that may be with you. Help us, Lord, to um, sink down deep roots into who you are, into your spirit. And may you show those fruits in our life. And identify the, the things that have gotten in the way of you that this Christmas, Lord, we could remove and welcome you anew. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.